the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, this opening command sounds like it's directed at primitive people, people who, who bow down to objects made of metal or wood or stone, or perhaps those who are uh, involved in polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. And so many Americans would say, since we don't do that, we are enlightened Americans, we're ready to move on to the second commandment. This is irrelevant for us. It has no application because this doesn't fit our lifestyle. After a trip to India, one American pastor described the experience as being both surreal and tragic. It was strange to see the idols and altars all throughout the land, and heartbreaking to think that these powerless images were the objects of the hopes and prayers of millions. Here in the United States, we are not confronted with the kind of overt idolatry that exists in other parts of the world. But does that mean that the first commandment is not relevant to our lives? Does the idea of other gods only apply to idols and altars? Or is it something more? Hello, this is Peter Silseth welcoming you to another edition of Verse by Verse with Steve Kreloff. Today we begin the second of a series of sermons by Pastor Steve on the topic of the Ten Commandments. These sermons were originally preached at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where Steve has served as pastor since 1981. We are broadcasting them again here on Verse by Verse because we believe they offer sound biblical insight that will help believers in the modern, amoral culture of our times. And now here is Pastor Steve. A couple of weeks ago, we began a new series, series on the Ten Commandments. And I suppose the major, major point of the first message is to say that the Ten Commandments are the reflection of God's moral character. They are his moral, unchanging standards, and therefore they are both permanent and relevant for us. They are not restricted to a past dispensation and therefore unrelated to our lives. But I want you to know that there are some laws that exist in our country that are outdated and are rather odd. They are relics from the past that absolutely have no relevance for today's world. For example, in Lexington, Kentucky, there is still a law on the books that forbids people from carrying an ice cream cone in your pocket. So if you're ever in Lexington, Kentucky, keep that in mind. In Lawrence, Kansas, there is a law that makes it illegal to walk down the street with bees in your hair. I don't even want to know the background of that law, but apparently somebody somewhere in Lawrence, Kansas, did that, and they made a law about it. In Danville, Pennsylvania, there is a law requiring all fire hydrants be checked one hour before they are to be used. Now, now think about that. How would you possibly know when you're going to use 
a fire hydrant. But if you could, this is an excellent law, if someone could figure that one out. Some of the more interesting of these obsolete laws pertain to protecting animals. For example, in Arizona, it is illegal to hunt camels. So if you ever are in Arizona with a pet camel, that's, that's good for the camel. In Atlanta, it is still against the law to tie a giraffe to a signpost. Now, here's one I like. In Michigan, you cannot chain a crocodile to a fire hydrant. Now, last I looked, they don't have um, any crocodiles in Michigan, but if they did, now you know you cannot chain it up to a fire hydrant. If you are ever in Toledo, Ohio, it is helpful to know that it's a crime to throw a reptile at someone. It's rather disgusting, too, when you think about it. It's also a crime to kick the head of a snake in Oregon or blindfold a cow near a public highway in Arkansas. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are different about Arkansas. But, and for those of you from the Minneapolis area, now you know that it is a crime to tease a skunk in Minneapolis. I have no idea what you would say you know, to a skunk in teasing it, but don't do it because you could be arrested for that. Now, these laws sounds strange, and they are strange to us because they're so irrelevant, so unrelated to the world that, that we live in. They still may be on the official records, but nobody, nobody pays attention to them, nobody takes them seriously because they're so far removed from our modern lives. And the way that, that we look at these outdated laws and laugh at them and disregard them is the way many people view the Ten Commandments. And that's the way they look at it. They don't take them seriously. In a world characterized by moral relativism, which essentially means that truth and morality are whatever you determine it to be, there's no objective truth, no objective morality, it's whatever is true and moral to you, then it's in that world that the Ten Commandments are looked upon as being a religious relic of a distant past, just old-fashioned, outdated, obsolete, antiquated, extinct. In fact, a few years ago, Ted Turner publicly announced that the Ten Commandments, he said, were obsolete because he said they don't relate to today's problems. What we need, Turner said, is to substitute the Ten Commandments with what he referred to as the Ten Voluntary Initiatives. Now, one reason why the Ten Commandments are perceived by people like Ted Turner and others to be outmoded and unrelated to today's world is because of the first commandment, which we are going to study today. So let's open our Bibles to, to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 3. This is the first commandment, and I'll tell you why this is the one that sets the tone. This is the one that people, when they read it, often think that all the commandments are irrelevant. The first commandment does set the tone for all the others, and it is the foundation of all other commandments. And when you read it, it sounds completely unsuited to life in the 21st century. Here's what it says. You shall have no other gods before me, or it means beside me. Now, this opening Opening command sounds like it's directed at primitive people, people who, who bow down to objects made of metal or wood or stone, or the, perhaps those who are uh, involved in polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. And so many Americans would say, since we don't do that, we are enlightened Americans, we're ready to move on to the second 
commandments. This is irrelevant for us. It has no application because this doesn't fit our lifestyle. But before we do that, we need to understand that this command is extremely relevant for us, extremely relevant, not just for the ancient Israelites who first heard these words at the foot of Mount Sinai about 3,500 years ago. In fact, the first commandment, I would say, is the basis for all the other commandments. In fact, not, not, not just my opinion, it's just the way it is. Without obedience to the first commandment, there would be absolutely no reason to take any of the other commandments seriously. This is the foundation of all the other commandments of the Ten Commandments. Now, as we discovered in our opening study, the Ten Commandments, as I said before, are the unchanging standards of God's moral character in outline form. They're just in outline form. They are not restricted to any past dispensation. And certainly, while certain aspects of the law given to Israel have already been fulfilled in Christ and are no longer in operation today, specifically the ceremonial and the judicial laws, the Ten Commandments are not like that. They have a permanent and a lasting value for us in the church age. Everybody before the Ten Commandments were in written form. Everybody understood them because God had placed it in their conscience. And everybody today, whether they have a Bible or not, understands what's right and wrong based on the conscience that God has given us, and he has written his law in our hearts. That's found in Romans chapter 2. But even though these laws extend beyond ancient Israel, it's still very important for us to understand the context in which they were, were given to the Jewish people because their setting in biblical history helps us to understand the meaning of each of these commandments. And the setting is this. 400 years before the Ten Commandments were given to Israel, God revealed himself to a, uh, a man who lived in Mesopotamia by the name of Abram. Abram became the famous Bible character, the great man of faith that we know as Abraham. But we're told in Joshua chapter 24 that Abram and his family lived in Mesopotamia and that his family worshipped many gods. Abraham did not grow up believing in one god. He believed in many gods. That was his background. That was uh, the way he was raised. But God in his mercy and God in his grace chose Abraham, and he revealed himself to this man. He revealed that there is only one God, and he was that one God, not many gods, just one God. And then God called this man, Abraham, to leave Mesopotamia and go west to the land known then as the land of Canaan, because that's where the Canaanites lived. And he promised Abraham the entire land. He said, this land will be yours and your descendants, and I'll make of you a great nation, and we will have a unique relationship. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. And uh, not only will the land be given to you, not only will a great nation come from you, but the Messiah will come from you. One of your descendants will be the Messiah, and he will eventually be a blessing to all the families of the earth, not just your uh, descendants. But after several generations, famine came to that part of the world. We read in the book of Genesis. And so God raised up Abraham's great, one of his great grandsons, Joseph, providentially made him prime minister of Egypt, which was the ruling empire of that day. And it was through 
Joseph, that God preserved the Jewish people by, by sending them to the very prosperous lands of Egypt. While everybody else suffered famine and was dying off, God preserved the Jewish people by sending them all to Egypt. And so as the book of Genesis closes, Abraham's descendants are dwelling as honored guests in Egypt because Joseph was the prime minister. But by the time the book of Exodus opens, hundreds of years later, the Jewish people are no longer being treated as honored guests, but they are now slaves. And it says that there arose a king who knew not Joseph. He didn't know about Joseph. He didn't care about Joseph. He cared about himself. And so this Pharaoh had made the Jewish people slaves. And as, as Exodus opens up, they are crying out for deliverance. They are crying out to the Lord. And God hears their prayers and answers their prayers by sending Moses to be their deliverer. And through a series of horrible plagues inflicted upon the Egyptians, God reveals himself as greater than all of the gods of Egypt. And through a mass exodus, he brings them out of Egypt into the wilderness. Now, they were to wander in the wilderness. They didn't know it at this point, but for nearly 40 years until they got to the promised land, But we note that in the third month, while being in the wilderness after their departure from Egypt, Exodus chapter 19 tells us that God told Moses to assemble all of the people at the foot of Mount Sinai. And it was there that God gave to them the Ten Commands to his people. Later on, he will call Moses up to the mountain and he will give on a a tablet of stone. He will write engraved with his own finger the Ten Commandments. But at this point, he will verbally give it to the people. And he does this in a very unique setting. Look at Exodus 19, beginning at verse 16. Exodus 19, verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Now, out of this very dramatic setting of thunder and flashes of lightning and dark clouds and smoke and the earth trembling which were all, by the way, intended to to display to the people God's power and majesty, the Lord begins to speak, and the first thing he does is declare who he is. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the lands of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's very interesting that Orthodox Jews put so much value on verse 2 that they actually consider it to be the first commandment. But that's not true. It can't be true because there's no command here. It's just a statement of fact. You, You have to have a command to have a commandment. And this isn't that. It's just a statement of fact that the one who is about to command them is their God, the same one who so powerfully brought them out of Egypt and slavery. And why did he do this? Why did he bring them out of Egypt? Well, Exodus chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, but you can note this in in your notes. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23, 25, tells us that God delivered them because they were crying out to him, and he had made a covenant with Abraham and his children that he would have a unique relationship with them. 
and that he would establish them as a great nation in the land of Canaan. And, and God is faithful to keep his word, to keep his covenant. And now on the verge of Israel becoming that great independent nation, God tells them that as his covenant people, he wants them to live a certain way. And that's the setting. That's the context of the Ten Commandments. They are commandments directed to God's people as to how they are to live. And the first thing he wants them to do and to know is that they are to exclusively worship him. Exodus 20, verse 3, the very first of the Ten Commandments says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, I really think that there is a richness here and not a superficiality in looking at this verse. And in order to understand the richness and the fullness of the verse of this verse and its applications and implications for us, it's helpful to do this. First, what we want to do is see what the command actually means. What is the meaning of this? And secondly, we want to discover a number of ways how it applies to our own personal lives. So let's begin by looking at the meaning of the command, you shall have no other gods before me. I don't think it's difficult to understand the basic essential meaning, and it's this. It's this, that God wants us to worship him and worship him alone. That's the basic meaning, not difficult to understand, but in order to mine the depths of this command, I think it's helpful to break this first commandment down into several key truths. I want to give you three key truths, which I think uh, get at the heart of what God is saying here. Truth number one, all other gods are false and therefore to be shunned. All other gods but the Lord are false and therefore to be shunned. It is significant to note that on the day that God gave this command, thou shall have no other gods before me, the Jewish people were involved in idolatry. They lived in Egypt, where um, they had been for 400 years, and in Egypt there was a myriad of gods, all kinds of gods, and we're told in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 5 through 8, that the Jewish people, along with the Egyptians, were involved in worshiping these false gods. It it wasn't that the Jewish people had separated themselves. It wasn't that that they worshiped the Lord only. They, like the Egyptians, embraced these many, many, many false gods. And so God's first command to them as they depart from Egypt is just leave behind the worship of of these other gods. Leave them behind, leave, get out of there, and leave the worship behind. Why? Because the God who established a covenant with them and delivered them from Egypt is the only true God. All other gods are absolutely nothing. They are the invention of men's minds. They are idols. And that is a, that is a truth reiterated throughout the Bible. One of the key places in which God emphasizes this is Isaiah chapter 44. He keeps saying that the gods of the nations are nothing. Isaiah 44, for example, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. God says, I know of no other gods. They are no 
gods. Isaiah 45, 18, I am the Lord, there is none else. Isaiah 46, verse 9, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Psalm 115 reiterates the same thing, and this is a marvelous psalm because And it's a healthy thing for you to be familiar with this psalm, to meditate on it, because not only is God exalted as the one true God, but as the sovereign one who does whatever he pleases. Listen to Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. What a great statement. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Now, that's a verse to meditate on. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols, in contrast to our God, are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. But not only does the Old Testament state this, do you realize in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, or verse 8 rather, let me read this to you. Galatians 4, 8, Paul says, speaking to the Galatians who were, were now saved, he says this, however, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. In other words, before your conversion, you worship non-existent deities, and they are no gods. They're no gods. That's who you worship. So the question is this. If there is only one true God, and these other gods are nothing, but they are the work of men's hands, where do they all come from? And why, why are people so excited about this? And not only ancient man. But modern man, do you realize uh, the Hindus have millions of gods? If I'm correct, I think it is 300 million deities in Hindu thinking. Where did this all come from? How did, how did ancient man and modern man come up with so many deities to worship instead of the one true God if they're nothing? Well, Romans chapter 1 gives us the answer. Romans chapter 1 is one of those critical chapters in the Bible that is so important to understand because it defines for us why man is without excuse, even those who have never heard of Jesus Christ. Those who have never heard of Christ in some far remote place on the planet, they are still responsible and inexcusable before God. And Romans chapter 1 explains it. Now, what he's doing here is putting the whole world on trial and proving that everyone is guilty before God. But in Romans 1, he is proving that ancient man who had the truth about God suppressed it. Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is to say that everyone, regardless of the content of revelation that's been given to them, every single one suppresses the truth, which means holds it down. If you, have, if you were given the law and you were an ancient Jewish person, you had the law, you didn't always obey it. You held it down. You suppressed it. You rejected it. If you were given the entire revelation about Jesus Christ, you suppressed it. If you didn't have anything written in written form, you still suppressed it. And that's Paul's point here. And he explains, because that which is known about God is evident within them. And I take it he means uh, around them, outside of them, in nature. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, 
His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Meaning that, that even people who don't have a Bible can understand something about God. There is a witness about God. They can see God in nature. They wouldn't know everything about God. They wouldn't know about redemption. But they would have enough truth that if they were responsive to the light, God would give them more light. If it is truly natural for men to comprehend that God exists, then why has mankind made and served so many false gods over the centuries? How can we explain such an unreasonable response to the true God? Pastor Steve will have the answers to these questions and more when he continues this message in our next broadcast. We want to give a big word of thanks to those of you who have been standing faithfully alongside of this ministry through your prayers and your financial gifts. Your partnership with us has helped Verse by Verse continue to freely broadcast this sound, biblical teaching on the radio. Thank you for your support. And for those of you who would like to join us in this effort, we invite you to call us at 727-239-0306. You can also email us at contact at versebyverseradio.org for more information on how you can help. Now, on behalf of Pastor Steve and the entire staff, this is Peter Silseth inviting you to join us next time on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse celebrating 20 years of teaching. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.